0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by BentoBox, a hospitality platform that empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships directly through their website. Opening soon listeners save 40% on the setup fee at getbento.com slash opening soon. That is G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O dot com forward slash opening soon.
2: This week on meetin 3, we're telling the stories behind iconic dishes. We learn what it will take to save New York's most famous egg cream, discover the importance of the goat neck in the East Village, and take a trip to India for delicious flatbreads
1: our customers who come in to get egg creams and t-shirts they love to talk about their childhood or their teenage years or their college years
3: i was living in uh, nepal in northern india and out there there's a real famous dish a uh, classic dish i should say is called paya
1: parathe wali gali or as it awkwardly translates in english
2: the lane of the stuffed flatbread makers is probably one of the most popular food streets in Old Delhi. Tune in to Meet 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Soon on Heritage Radio Network. I am your host, Jenny Goodman.
3: And I'm Alex McCreary.
1: And if you're just joining us this season, Opening Soon is a show that will take you through all the steps of opening a restaurant. Um, We're talking with some of the world's best chefs and restaurateurs and vendors that help take your idea to opening soon.
3: Today we're talking about creating an experience for diners to remember. Uh, So food is sustenance, but when brought to another level, it can be much more, right? Great food can wow diners, but what about the experience of dining, from walking in the door and being greeted by the team to finishing off your meal and walking away from the table? How can the owner or restaurateur impact each component of the journey to create a memorable personal experience?
1: So today we have Simon Kim here. We're super excited to have Simon. We've known Simon for like three years now since he was opening Coat, and we happened to meet at a trade show, so excited to pick his brain. Um, But if you aren't familiar, Coat is a modern Korean steakhouse in uh, the Flatiron District in Manhattan, and they also have a subterranean cocktail lounge called Undercoat. And Coat really marries the the joyous occasion and flavors of Korean barbecue with top-notch ingredients, stellar service, stylish interiors, and the classic American steakhouse. They have two stars from the New York Times, as well as a Michelin star for the past year. three years in Woohoo. a row. Woohoo. Congratulations. <laughs> it's a huge accomplishment. Thank and not you. only do they have a Michelin star, you're the only Korean steakhouse or barbecue, basically, to have... Tabletop
4: grill. Tabletop yes.
1: grill. That's what it is. Okay. So to have a Michelin star in the world.
4: I'm very humbled. Impressive. I mean, that's that's
1: impressive. That is something to celebrate for sure.
4: Super, super exciting and grateful.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, it's a big deal. So tell us a little bit about when you were coming up with the idea for Coat and, you know, there's these more traditional like tabletop grills that are this casual environment and then you really wanted to marry it with a high-end American steakhouse and, You know, how was that received? What did investors and staff think? How did you sort of educate people on it when it was something that wasn't necessarily, you know, a given concept?
4: Sure. So Korean barbecue, uh, the way America knows it, is kind of different in Korea. In Korea, we call it kogi jip Kogi translates to meat, and jip translates to house.
1: I love it. Just call it what it is. It's a meat house. It's a meat house.
4: (laughs) But whether that is... Steakhouse or barbecue house. It's kind of like if it's more casual, then it'll be a little more t- leaning towards barbecue, and if it's a little more um, fine dining-esque, then it'll be more steakhouse. So in Korea, there is super high-end kogi um, chip, and there's kind of casual kogi chip as well. So what I wanted to do is kind of um, bring the higher end experience of a kogi chip here, but but more importantly. I wanted to kind of represent who I am as a person. Uh, I'm Korean-American. I'm not necessarily more as Korean as Korean person who grew up in Korea. Right. Nor am I as American as American person who was born and raised in America. But um, that makes me... me but I'm a Korean guy that understands American culture right. better than m- many Koreans. And I'm a Amer- American guy that understands Korean gu- uh, culture better than... Most Americans it's
1: got an advantage on everybody. Exactly. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. best of both worlds.
4: But I used to think that that was my disadvantage because I didn't. I had an identity crisis until right. I found that it was a unique position. And then once I did, and and having worked for great chefs, I thought that um, marrying that um that conviviality, you know, when you go to a Korean barbecue restaurant, you get lit. it's one of those. like... That's like,
1: like a I, thing you do, right?
4: Exactly. It's it's really a thing. You get lit when you go to Korean barbecue restaurants. And when you go to American Steakhouse, um, you have a great beef. You know, beef is king.
1: And you're just drunk on the beef fat, basically. Exactly.
4: So I thought, you know, it's, it's about carnivorous vision. Why not just marry the two and serve the best steak possible and get people lit at the same time? You know? <laughs> and I think that was the the idea behind it. And um, right now we're so grateful. It's been really busy and successful, and it's um, such an humbling and ex- an awesome experience. But it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't so when I was first um, trying to realize that idea into reality.
1: And what's what was the pushback you got? Like, tell us a little bit about that journey.
4: Sure. So, like all visions that needs to come that needs to come to realization is you need you need the dough, right? Right. You need money. You need money. And you need to court investors, and you need to pitch them, and you need to convince them, and ultimately they need to write that check, and yeah. that check needs to be cashed in your account <laughs> before it actually becomes yours, right? Right. Right. And um, but when I when I knocked on their door, stating saying that you know I have this grand vision, you know, right, I'm gonna have this upscale Korean barbecue restaurant, they were like, um, that like that sounds oxymoron, you know? Okay. People go to Korean barbecue restaurants because it's casual and exciting. But when I said I'm gonna go out and add fine dining elements to it, they thought that you're like you're basically creating something that is unnecessary.
1: Interesting. So they were like, why why mess with it? Like it just should be this casual spot. You don't need to make it fine dining kind of thing.
3: Precisely. Yeah. And we also yes. we spoke earlier and you had mentioned that there was another restaurant that had a similar concept that was had it? not proven itself successful. So how yes. did you sort of convince your investors that this was something different, that this was not going to go in that direction?
4: Honestly, if I have, um, uh, if I can share what I learned a uh, fundraising is don't waste your time on the investors, potential investors. That's not going to write the check. Okay. You know, so there were a few investors that I really kind of was successful in convincing. But majority of investor, I moved on. You know, the people right. that I thought was ready to write the check, um... They were trapped in the idea that this doesn't need to be this, this doesn't need to exist right So instead of trying my time and effort to trying to push that you know uphill battle, I just moved on. I just met new investors and and one door led to another door mm-hmm. and before you know it, I, I was surrounded by people who, who had very positive um, outlook and and that, and that I think that's very important
3: For because. Sure.
4: Because yeah. getting a check is one thing, right? Like, you know, an investor, because you beg them, beg them, beg, um, can write your check. But without their true blessing yeah. and positive energy that they believe that this is going to be successful, like, why take, why take their money unless, like, you you know...
1: We talk about this a lot on the show. Is like there has to be total vision alignment, and it's like not just with you know your, it's not just with the partners or your staff, but it's also with people who you're actually taking money from. They have to believe in the vision, so that that makes total sense.
4: And I was very lucky enough to, you know, have the money that was a symbol of their blessing and support, as opposed to just a dollars and cents. Right. You know, I think that can, that's a significant different. The same amount of dollar, but significantly different um, level of investment, if you right.
1: will. Right. And what about like hiring staff and a chef? Like, where were you, you know, because you're not hiring for something that's necessarily been done before. How did you, you know, how did you go about that and how was explaining the process to, sure. to your team? Sure.
4: So, building your core team, I think, is the most important thing, right? Because ultimately, uh, your idea, especially if it's a far fetched idea like mine, right? Mm-hmm. Then, of course, it's going to be very difficult to um, convince a person to take a leaf of faith, you know. Especially if this person has a great career going and this person is good at what they do, they know their worth, then, dude, you know, I got my, my career on the way. Yeah. Why would I jump ship to join this crazy idea? Right. So that was really difficult. Um, you know, it took me more than a year and a half to convince the chef that I knew was the guy. You know, so David. you knew
1: David was the guy before. The chef is David, who we love. Uh, David
4: Shim's yeah. <laughs> life is Coat.
1: Yeah. You know? We love you, David. Yeah. Simon is saying don't ever leave him, basically. I mean,
4: <laughs> no, we, I won't let you go, David. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so David um, literally was the guy, right? Um, he had a perfect experience, literally perfect resume for Coat. He had a French um, background of Grammar's Tavern, Veritas, Joel Robichon. So he had the classic um, uh, training. And then um, he went on to do Korean barbecue restaurant. Right. The said restaurant, the one that was supposed to be high end with uh, with the producer. And then um, that didn't really work out. So he actually went to work at a a steakhouse in uh, Long Island City with a Michelin star.
1: right? So
4: between, he had a, Korean barbecue restaurant, Convivial, Get Lit, and American Steakhouse (laughs) with French background. So he was was the guy. And when I met him, because you have to understand that Coates' vision has been marinating in my head for at least like nine years.
1: Nine years? Yeah.
4: Wow. So I had a grand vision. Like next 10 years, I actually planned everything out. So the moment I met him, you know, I'm not a fancy guy, but... I try to be fancy because I wanted him so bad.
1: Oh, really? You courted him?
4: <laughs> I, like, totally. <laughs> he like, totally courted him. Like, it's, 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 it was no different than, you know, if you love your date, you take them to, like, more expensive restaurant than you can ever afford, you know? Yeah,
1: David, he, he, he could have been, like, buy me a Maserati, and you would have been, like, yes. Hey, <laughs> I could
4: have, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I had no money. Yeah, but right. but money. I did <laughs> take him to a Four Seasons Hotel to have a coffee and to have a meeting, you okay. know, which is super yeah. fancy. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Like, a- on a hindsight. And I met him there, and then I try to convince the vision. This is what we're gonna do. Yeah. This is what's gonna happen. In three years we're gonna do this. In four years we're gonna do this. And ten years we're gonna do this, and then all these things are gonna happen. And then, mind you, David's like. Can I say this? Yeah, you can say that yeah. word. Who, who the fuck is this guy? Oh, know? really? Like who the fuck does he think he is? Yeah. Like, ten years, and he and you know later, David shared that he thought out that I was a scam artist.
1: Oh, really? Like, he was like, <laughs>
4: this guy he takes me to the fancy <laughs> coffee shop I love like, it. and talks about ten year goals, <laughs> and but I really meant it. And then that's awesome. And I told him uh, no, um, and he basically thought out uh, two days later. I consider talk to my wife, but I can't do this. He oh, said, really? no, no, he
1: rejected you.
4: Rejected me. It was
1: a bad first date for David.
4: Very, <laughs> and very bad date for Sorry. me, you know, cause I did everything, <laughs> I thought I did everything right. So how did so, you turn it around? So six months later, I'm driving the ship, you know, I'm trying to look for the space and like, you know, fundraising, everything's going a little better and better. And then I approached him again. I was like, David, you know, you know, you're the guy, Yeah. you know, you want this, we got to be. Do this. Yes. Yeah. You just don't know this, you know, yet allow me to convince you. And then, but that time, uh, the restaurant that he was currently working at was um, in an understaffed situation. Okay. So he's like, you know, Simon, so as much as I might want to, you know, I think he was trying to be polite. I can't okay. leave because I can't leave right. these guys hanging. And then, so that was that. And then six months later, so I was disappointed. Now you know, six know his integrity later, is like 100% intact as well. Like, too, that is true too. Yeah.
1: So now another yeah. win for, right.
4: yes. for this guy. So not only is he perfect, he's also integrity <laughs> driven. So the third time, so I thought I needed to do something radical, you know. How do I show him that I'm genuine genuine in my approach? So what I did was I took him to my gym. Oh, yeah. I went to Equinox, and then I literally, we got butt naked. Oh. <laughs> we went to Jacuzzi. I wanted to show him that, hey, listen, like, this is real. You know, there's this no fancy suits. There's no nothing. This is, you know, a man-to-man just really just trying to communicate to you, um, human-to-human, about, you know, what we're going to do. And ultimately, I think um, that worked. That worked. He was like,
1: please just don't make me go into the locker
3: room.
4: Yeah. No, Let's take your clothes off. <laughs> no. but, but in all seriousness, I guess my the one thing that I really want to share with the listener is that spend the time and and don't try to shortcut building that core team.
1: Yeah, the relationships are so important. Because
4: ultimately, those core people are going to be... Re- by by your side when, you know, shit turns into, you know, when shit hits the fan. Right. And through thick and thin. So, you know, of course, especially if they're good and they're integrity driven, right. they will be very hesitant to make the jump. But I think if you spend, you know, the genuine time and, you know, share that your care, your care and your intentions, I think ultimately, you know, you, you can win them over. And I think that is probably one thing that I look back that I that I really feel like, uh, has paid off in, you know, thousand folds.
1: And dividends. And we are just saying, so, you know, we've worked with Coat from Tillit. The Tillit team has worked with Coat since you guys opened. And I was saying to Simon before, your team has been the same people since you first opened, you know, several years ago. And it's really nice to see how well, like, you've retained all your team and your talents. Like,
4: I feel a, extremely lucky. Yeah. And the loyalty is mutual. And, you know, I think that's kind of our secret sauce.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a big thing.
3: How is it? That the show's about the experience of dining. How do you feel like the experience of what you're doing um, inside coat is different than you know the best steakhouse, the best American steakhouses, the Peter Luger and such as that. That the experience that the diner gets to go through because it's a Korean steakhouse.
4: Sure. So I think current trend. There's a lot of t- um, tableside cooking. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah.
4: There's, like, a banana flambe. That's right. a big thing. Like, Caesar salad. Right, uh, Caesar
1: salad. Like, the scissors come out at Mama Fuku Kawi. Like, exactly. Yeah, there's, like, there's some things happening tableside. Yeah.
4: What's, what's hilarious is, um, Coat is tableside, right? Like, you can't do anything uh, without tableside cooking at Coat. So, I guess what I'm leading to is that because we have the smokeless grill on the table, it naturally makes it very, very exciting, right? Because... experience of eating meat is really unique, right? Because, you know, it's it's carnivorous thing and, you know, there's an animal flesh that you're consuming and, and it's, it is kind of ritualistic, you know, and I, I value, you know, the animals, you know, um, your, the consumption of, red, uh, consumption of meat is a very ritualistic thing for me. And when you have a grill in front of you and instead of meat just arriving to you like magically the meat arrives raw and then that gets, that is grilling in front of you, right? So if three of us were to be eating there, you know, we're talking, we're drinking wine, we're actually seeing and hearing and smelling the meat being cooked in front of us. And there's a really, you know, something that's romantic, something that is very, you know, primitive, but sophisticated, you know, experience that diners can get. And I think that's, um, you know, really unique experience. And also, so there's that element of you know, cooking on the table. But also, we want to make sure that um, at Coat, we're able to offer something that is truly excellent, right? Whether that is ingredients, whether that is bottle of wine, whether that is cocktail. So something that is that has a tremendous um, sense of excellence. But we try to knock off any and all pretentiousness. Mm-hmm. So you can get lit, you can get... You can be a little rowdy. You can be a little rambunctious, and and have a friend. You know, a, have friends just go out and have a great time, get loud, and get drunk. Meanwhile, consuming a great, um, excellent ingredients with great hospitality. Right. And I think that's the experience that we try to really kind of promote. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I know the hospitality and the ingredient driven. You know, I was trying. I was asking before. You know what what do you really see as your differentiator with other concepts that have come before? And you guys really pride yourselves on like the meat and it really being a steakhouse first and foremost. Yeah. So how did you like, how does that concept really translated to the diner? Have people, you know, people see you as a steakhouse and how did you get that across?
4: I think so. So the first and most obvious statement that we made visually is we have a dry aging room downstairs Mm -hmm. and even amongst beautiful too thank you it's lit with a red light so it's super kind of like visually um, uh, overwhelming and having a dry aging room is very important for steakhouse because each dry aging room you know it is like a cheese cave right there's actually um, you know bacteria and enzymes and things that are living there that kind of um, provide a very unique flavor to um, each dry aging room and so we created that to make sure that, you know, we're very serious about our beef. And and a lot of these, um, a lot of Korean-focused um, tabletop grill at, uh, restaurants, probably before Code, everything was called um, Korean barbecue restaurant. Right. And we wanted to make sure that we identify ourselves as a Korean steakhouse. And, you know, in the beginning, people were very confused. You know, basically, you're a pretentious Korean barbecue <laughs> restaurant. Like, who calls... Korean yeah. barbecue, Korean steakhouse, you know, but it wasn't, we're, we're not trying to be pretentious. We're right. genuinely serious that we wanted to provide, um, you know, one of the best steakhouse experiences in New York. And we thought that we could do this and, uh, we're committed in creating that if we could if we don't already do it, we're in, we're fully committed in providing that experience. So I think that, um. We are we, identity. Even before we are Korean, Right. I think we are steakhouse. You're steakhouse first.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I love that distinction for sure. So speaking of um, – we talked a little bit about the Michelin star at Coat, but you also had a restaurant previous to – to coat where you had a Michelin star also, and that one you ended up closing during the first year that coat was open, right? Piora, mm-hmm. and so tell us a little bit. We Alex and I like to celebrate, you know, like things that you've moved on from and like what lessons you've learned. So tell us like what you changed from Piora's concept, and you know what did you learn from that experience?
4: Sure, uh, Piora was um, has has it's in this most special place in my heart. You yeah, know, I think it was a real jewel box of a restaurant, and I would not be you know, coat would not be here without um, piora being there. Right. And funny thing is, um, piora in Korean, pronounced piora, translates to blossom. Right. And coat in Korean means flower. So that's your flower. So it yes. would actually kind of um, blossom led to the flower. So, or flowers led by a uh, blossoming effect. So it was kind of uh, meant to be. But that being said, in terms of what, what I learned through. Um, the success and the fall of, you know, closure of Pura is that um, you just need to be a better restaurant operator. I feel like as a first venture, Pura was the darling of a restaurant and I had so many things that I wanted to do mm-hmm. and Chef had so many things that Chef wanted to do, you know, but um, we didn't really necessarily uh, think about that in a, you know, on businessmen's perspective. You right. know? Ultimately, without PL, uh, strong PL, anything and all thing that you are doing or you want to do or you have been doing doesn't really matter, right? Because yeah. uh, it's got to be sustainable. So I think what I learned biggest walk away is you know, burning, no matter how hot and well the passion is burning, without um, uh, great support of financials. Uh, one cannot be sustainable
1: yeah for sure I mean that's was the biggest lesson we learned too, in opening and closing after six months is that it's you know if the, if the finances aren't working out then you're sc- it's a business like it's right. not you know it's, this isn't a passion project it isn't something pretty we're trying to put out there it's like it has to actually make money
3: how do you feel like you <coughs> sort of modified that with coat was it that you restrain yourself and your team when there are times of that you're feeling impassioned to do something without looking at the numbers behind it did you is there a consultant or partner that you work with that is like giving you some guidance on those kind of things, or?
4: I think all of the above. You know, when when we have an idea, we actually run through the numbers and see what what that's going to do. And we have much bigger team. We have a bookkeeper who basically maintains all the um, costing elements of it, including labor. Uh, we have CFO who basically goes through a little larger scale of um, how to how what's trending and how we can kind of. Um, Uh, make numbers work out better you know different adopting different technology different inventory systems so we have a fully dedicated people who's looking at just that um financial aspect of the 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 business and we also have um you know the the principal bartenders to executive chefs you know to you know where we kind of focus on creative angle but uh, we want to, We always make sure that creative and uh, financials all dance, right. mm-hmm. you know. And I think, especially, you know, we're all very creative people, and you know, it's like a, adrenaline, right? Like you get like,
1: yeah, you're like I s- want to do this crazy thing.
4: Yeah, yeah. you get excited. Do you you want, do get you
1: excited, know? yeah. And then, but
4: like, you're right. If you if
3: you're not able to be in business tomorrow, it doesn't matter how great the product you just came up with is. it's <laughs> right. not going to be anybody to buy it. You're not going to be able to make it.
4: So, greatest thing that I I see is that um, it's not about you know our creativity. I mean, you know, the people, our diners, our guests, our loyal guests, love us because our creative and our you know commitment to quality. You know, not necessarily you know our commitment to or ability to make money. You know, they they follow us for for that reason, right? right? They become uh, supporters. So, I think it's not about financials being. The um, restriction to creativity. I think once you have a great supporting finance team, that sh- they can actually support the creativity. I think there's a pretty important distinction between the two.
1: Yeah, for sure. And so you have, the CFO somebody full-time with you? He is. Or do
4: you have
1: like consultancy? We always like to say if you yeah. want to shout people out, you're welcome
4: to. Yes, his name is Kent Krakurian, <laughs> and he's pretty <laughs> awesome. So he's not 100% full-time. He has um, uh, other uh, he, he has a tech. He's a tech CFO background, oh, cool. so he has a few other tech projects that he's involved in, and we're super lucky to have him yeah. as a, because yeah,
1: no, that's amazing. And we always say like hire people. Like if you do, if it's not a strong suit, but you know it's super important for your business, and
3: you hire and all strategic source. investors yeah. as well.
4: That can sure, be, be that person. And and another thing that I want to mention is you know when when you have investors and you have friends and families, I strongly recommend asking for help. Yeah. Because restaurant, you know, owner and restaurant operator naturally is and factually are, you know, one of the coolest people in the friend group, right? <laughs> I agree. Uh, but we have limited knowledge and limited amount of money and limited amount of resources. Right. But whereas we have a bunch of friends that's around us that... um That We don't ask because we feel a little shy, but I I don't. I think, you know, whenever I, can you help me with this?
1: Yeah, you should, yeah.
4: You'd be surprised, you know.
1: We always say that too, is like make sure you're asking for help because people are really willing. And it's interesting that you're saying you're asking friends outside of the industry because I think people feel like the industry is so different and so insulated in a lot of senses, but there are people who like have financial knowledge who can help you outside of the industry too. Sure. For sure. Um, All right, let's take a super quick break and we'll come back with more. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, helping restaurants own their presence, profits, and relationships directly through their website. Old Epic Grill is Washington, D.C.'s oldest saloon. It was founded in 1856 as a boarding house that hosted past presidents and military heroes. After numerous relocations, it moved in in 1983 for the final time to the Beaux Arts Building, once an old theater and historic landmark. It is an iconic tavern with a priceless collection of antiques and memorabilia. Old Epic Grill is one of 5,000 restaurants that drives high-margin revenue directly through their website, thanks to Bento Box. Visit getbento.com slash opening soon today to get 50% off of your new website setup
2: fee. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Join us to explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden where you'll taste and imbibe to your heart's content and bid on once in a lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Join the party. Tickets are available now at heritageradionetwork.org slash gala.
3: All right, we're back uh, with Simon Kim from Coat and talking about the experience of dining. But um, we talked about obviously one of the key components of what Coat is is the level of quality of the meat. Where, where did your... Where did your background come from? How did you learn what great meat was and to the American palate of what great meat?
4: So, so I was born and raised in Seoul, and I came to America when I was 13 years old. And in Korea, I loved going to um, um, Gokijip, the Korean, Korean barbecue restaurants, because it's fun and rambunctious, and the quality was, of meat was fantastic. But also, importantly, when I came to New York, I grew up in Long Island in a town called Manhasset, And the town over was Little Neck. And Little Neck was the home of the only Peter Luger outside of the the Brooklyn location. So I remember myself, I was 13 years old, I would collect my allowance, the little allowance that I had, and with uh, two of my friends we'll go to Peter Luger
1: you'd go by with no parents Just no do. parents no. My,
4: my parents would drop drop us off you know
3: were they saving their allowance too or were you treating treating the boys to
4: no 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 okay. I, my allowance <laughs> would not be able to um, uh, treat those guys so everybody brought their own and then it was Dutch pay and then I grew up eating that steak you know at least every once, once every quarter it was, I love um, it yeah, because I mean, for the
1: servers, like, what are these three year thirteen-year-old boys doing here? Like, <laughs> just chowing down on a on a massive steak.
4: One thousand percent. Not only we're the only thirteen-year-olds, we're only Asian thirteen-year-olds. Oh my god, I love you it. You know, things. You know, and you know, obviously, you know, Peter Luger, it's a bunch of older, yeah. you know, older guys, grumpy guys. So it was pretty funny. But after a while, they they knew us, and it became a real fun thing. You know, like. If
3: you're listening, kids, like that's how you, that's, how you should spend your allowance. That's <laughs> how you get
1: into the industry is yeah. you start spending hey, your allowance. Forget it,
4: Apple I- iTunes, you know, <laughs> save that and then go to the steakhouse. Get yourself <laughs> <a rib eye.
1: laughs> yeah, well, you could be on the radio talking about it 30 mm. years later. You never know. <laughs> I love it. Um, awesome. Is there anything, you know, what else makes, makes coat specials or any like special sauce? You guys have been pretty like instantaneously successful and.
4: Absolutely. So code, I mean, the concept seems like it's um, well-liked and location and, you know, a lot of things, we have a lot of things going for us. But I feel like um, the most important asset and the only asset that I think um, will, you know, the most important thing, the secret sauce, if you will, is our team, mm-hmm. you know. And our core management team, uh, we have a nickname. We actually have a, a chat box, the the title is Dragon Slayers.
1: Dragon Slayers. Nice. That's on your, like, yeah. group text message? It
4: is, yeah. Okay. So, like, our, from, from our director of ops, you know, Tom Brown to, you know, SK, Chef SK, Chef David, Chef Christian, and our GM, Amy, Service Director, Wesley. You know, we have John and Chef Luis and Chef Victorino. And, of course, our beverage director, Victoria James. These are without without these individuals. And, of course, my, um, my assistant, Maria Owens. You know, without them, you know, all these ideas and all these desires, all these things, really means nothing, you know? So I'm extremely grateful for all of those guys.
1: So Simon loves you, team coat. Just know that. Love you guys. (laughs) 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 I mean, that's something we hear a lot, too, is the team is is so, so important. And, yeah, it seems like you definitely have a great team. Yeah. Awesome. All right, let's uh, talk some... Lightning round. Lightning round. So these are meant to be, like, your quick off the top of your head, but you can elaborate where you feel... You should.
4: I'm. I'm ready to go. You're
1: ready. All, yeah. right. All right. Simon's ready. Let's
4: start with a quick one. Uh, favorite cut. Favorite cut of meat. 45 day dry aged USDA prime ribeye.
1: Say that five times fast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um
4: This could be a little bit longer.
3: But any um, your greatest fear when you were creating this new concept, the Korean steakhouse.
4: That I would be. You know, a lot of people doubted doubt, doubted the concept, and that was my doubt as well. If everybody's doubting it, maybe maybe I have the wrong idea. Um,
1: but clearly not, because you have butts in seats every night.
4: And we, uh, yeah, I'm extremely grateful. And 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 honestly, I feel like when you when the fear is awesome, because when you overcome them, it just makes you that much confident and that much more stronger. So.
3: Do you yeah. feel like it'll be um, this? This goes out from our lightning round. Sorry, but <laughs> do you feel like other people will pick this up as like a new a concept that can be done by other brands? Or you and, and does that bother you, or worry you? Do you feel good about what that you've now mm. maybe created a new genre of
4: food? Or that's a great question, Alex. I feel like initially I was very um, you know. Like so many copycats, oh my goodness, blah, 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 you know, because um, right. there's definitely a lot of movements right now. There are more. That, you know, you will see definitely a lot more of a similar concept that's going to be opening and initially kind of bothered me. But um, ultimately, I came to the conclusion that, you know, I got this idea from somewhere. You know, ultimately, I am, you know, I'm just a, someone who's carrying on the torch of, um, you know, cont- I'm just continuation. So right. if other people continue the, the, the evolution, I think it's just good for the industry And as long as um, we continuously stay relevant and focus on what we do, which is quality and hospitality, the more the merrier, more juice. So, you know, A, I think it's a concept I think you will definitely uh, see it flourish and be, you know, mixed feeling about how I feel. But ultimately, uh, there's much more positive feeling all around than anything else. Sure.
3: We we can very much relate, I think, in the clothing sector of
4: doing something new and,
3: uh, you know, when things are copied or mimicked your natural reaction is mm. why the, why the hell are those people doing that? <laughs> yeah. And then you kind of realize no. that, you know, what uh, we're changing something for the better, for the better of, right. you right. know, the industry, for the better of the culture, for the better of the food that we're, we're trying to share with the world. Um, and there's definitely some satisfaction in knowing sure. that you're the foundation of that, you know? Cause
4: initially I was actually, you know, I think what it is, is um, if there was, if like, Till it obviously, is, you know, we use you guys and, and you guys are one of the, obviously, the best. And if someone were to copy you, I think what, and, or learn from you and inspired by yeah. you, I think you would be honored if you inspire other people. Sure. For sure. But yeah. I think when you do, I think a little bit of recognition, a yeah. little bit of uh, recognition is all it takes. Yeah. You know, like sending your thank you. Hey, by the way, I'm opening something in Oklahoma. You inspired me. Thank you very much. Yeah. In fact, Jenny, you probably help them.
1: Yeah, I give, mean, Share the sure.
4: resources. But if they try to kind of, Go behind you and yeah. then like steal your accounts and do shady things like that. Right, I think right. that's why that's where it goes wrong. Right. That's
1: where it goes wrong right. yeah. I mean I we always like to say like you know, rising tides lift all ships and it's like, you know, the more people who are educated on this concept, the more mm-hmm. willingness it is for everybody to try and there's this, you know, sort of shared um shared love in the industry. So yeah, I it's it's tough in some ways, but you're also like it's super flattering. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So maybe there'll be more Korean steakhouses. Um Cool. What's your, what's your favorite business book? We always like to ask. You. It doesn't have to be necessarily business. It's not book. necessarily
4: a business book. I like Art of War. The Art of yeah, War. Yeah, Tzu. Yeah. All
1: right. And what about one business resource that everyone should know about?
4: Mm, having a business... So it's a little difficult. I mean, it's a little different answer. But having a business mentor, I think, is the most important. Yeah. Because um, resources and other things resources books and those are kind of one dimensional right and you need to kind of interpret and be able to apply to you but um i have a feeling pretty much a lot of people especially if you're in new york city you have access to um, people who are in business and being able to kind of pick at their brain and they'll be able to give you an advice that actually fits you and all you need to do as a restaurant owner is buy them a dinner at your restaurant yeah so (laughs) come on in let me
1: pick your brain and have lovely steak
3: yeah. This seamlessly leads into the next question, which is, "Who is your mentor?"
4: <laughs> yes. So I have a few mentors. Um, shout out to my mentor. My first mentor is um, Y.M. Park. Um, he's um, uh, he's the chairman of Chamber of Commerce of Korea. Um, he's also uh, CEO. I mean, chairman of Atusan um, uh, Infra uh, Infra Corp in Korea. So um, I met him probably about 15 years ago, and. Uh, he comes to New York once a month when I was broke and was getting ready for restaurants he would basically let me pick any restaurant I want to doesn't matter what the price is including Lil Bernardin to including Jean-Georges and he would pay for it and that's where I really got to learn a lot about New York City fine dining at nice. somebody else's time. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> smart, Simon. Smart. Yes. Good mentor. And then, and
4: then he had a good reservation at prime time, so it all worked out for good. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he's, he's my mentor. And also, we have um, I have uh, John Radodick. He's um, a chief people officer at uh, WeWork. Oh, cool. And um, I met him through um, by... He was a guest at Piora. And since he's, he's a, he's a big-time um, human resource person, mm-hmm. so... You know, our restaurant business really could have a great human resource angle, building culture and whatnot. Right. So he really kind of uh, mentors me in that angle. And I also have um, Unu Chan. he's um, partner at Kirkland Ellis, and he's um, he's my main investor. And um, he's, he's in legal background, so he also helps me in that. And lastly, uh, we also have um, uh, a person named by a- HSL. She also uh, gives me a wealth of wisdom and support.
1: I love that you have former guests and diners who have become mentors, because I think that's probably like an underserved place where people don't look to necessarily ask for help. But a lot of times your diners are one of your biggest assets. And, um, you know, I think as as a business person, it's smart to tap into that network, too.
4: I think that paid uh, the biggest evidence. You know, I think probably every single one of these people, Mm -hmm. every single one of my mentors I met through, where I was working. Yeah. So my first one, YM Park, I met him when I was managing restaurants for Jean Georges at a Upper East Side hotel. Okay. And um, so... So
1: everybody was a diner originally or a guest and you just, yeah. Because
4: and- restaurant is cool like that, you know, so many yeah. eccentric people and, yeah. and, and very bright people coming into restaurants and, you know, if you're on the floor, if you're a chef, if you're a manager, if you're a server... You have uh, open ears. You, yeah, know? you have
1: access, yeah.
4: Like their employees, they have, A, they have like tens and thousands of employees. And to get a meeting with this individual, like it, you just don't have access. Yeah. Whereas yeah. you, you know, I mean, I was. a two hour meeting
3: with. I'm completely somebody, un- unqualified,
4: yeah. but I had a two hour <laughs> meeting here, So yeah. I think it's a good, great um, resource. Yeah. It's, yeah. You
3: know, smart. Uh, biggest surprise when you opened Coat?
4: Shit storm. Shitstorm. Yeah. Yeah. Before we opened the restaurant, there was actually um a plumbing issue that really kind
1: Oh like of a like, literal shit storm. Exactly.
4: <laughs> yeah. And that was like the not biggest... not
1: figuratively.
4: Thank God uh, the restaurant was not open. Oh my and god. And it was like the biggest plumbing plumbing fiasco. <laughs> but um there's um an old Korean proverb, like when shit hits the fan before the restaurant opens, like you're supposed to <laughs> your restaurant's supposed to be really successful. Oh uh, yeah. yeah. Thank God, it was true. There you go. <laughs>
1: yeah, I love it. That's hilarious. Um, so we also hear that you're headed to Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, when's that happening?
4: I think second half of next year.
1: Second half of next year. And so. this
4: is the same concept as here in New York. That is correct. Yes.
1: Any chance that you're returning to Vegas, or what's after Miami?
4: I would say never say never. You know, I love Vegas. I went to undergrad there, so um, I think I have a you know Vegas has a special place in my heart. But as far as what's after Miami, well, you know that's a lot of work later. <laughs>
1: you had a ten-year plan like a year ago.
4: We can worry about Miami too. <laughs> we can focus. That is true. Focus is always focus a good, is good. thing. So, yeah. I mean, my focus is on Miami, but we do have a ten-year plan. Out. <laughs> um, probably, West Coast in the, is in the pipeline, but um, hopefully, Saturday. I'll be able to share that news soon. Cool. Yeah.
1: Awesome. We always like to shout out restaurants or bars that are opening soon. Could be friends or anybody anybody coming to mind or maybe have just opened yes we're thinking
4: I am thinking
3: do you want to give yours well yeah Simon's going to think I'll
1: shout out Banty Rooster in the West Village who is opening very soon and our friends um, Bamboo Sushi they have several locations on the West Coast and they are opening their first Seattle location next or this week yeah And I
4: have a friend of mine. His name is Edo Kobayashi. He has a lot of Japanese restaurants in Mexico City. I know he's opening um, uh, Yakitori Place here in New York. Awesome. Uh, I don't have too much information, but um, you guys, all the listeners should be on a lookout because I think this is going to be a game changer. Yeah,
1: there is no ton of Yakitori here.
4: Yeah. I love um, Tori Shin as well, but um, I feel like there's something else that's brewing that I'm super excited to find out more about.
1: Cool.
3: Cool. Uh, that's it so special thanks again Simon for coming on and and talking about the experience and uh, your history with Coat we'll post a wrap up of today's show on till at nyc.com we'll also send one in your inbox if you're on our list so make sure you do that Uh, Simon where do we find you and the restaurant on social?
4: at Instagram at Simon Kim NYC
3: and And Coat is Coat NYC? Coat
4: underscore NYC that's CoTE underscore NYC yeah yeah
3: um, if you enjoyed our episode today on guest experience, then tune in next week. We'll be uh, chatting with hospitality attorney David Helbron. and we're basically going to ask him to tell us why not to open a restaurant. So if you're on the fence, then <laughs> listen to that and see uh, what some of the pitfalls and dangers of getting. I should the, have listened to the that business. Plan. You should <laughs> have listened to
1: that one in advance. I
3: know. This should be a fun one. Uh, follow the journey on Heritage. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere else you get your podcast, and you can follow us on Instagram at we are opening soon and at
4: Tillit NYC. Thank Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Alex.
1: Opening soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage radio network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.